Hi everyone and welcome to the Investors Corner. This week we're joined by an IFA, an independent financial advisor and financial planner, Nellie Hogan. Nellie owns her own company in financial advice and planning. She's got some fantastic portfolio clients. She's even going to share a case study with us in the second part of the episode. She's worked for one of the top 10 accountancy firms on the planet. She's worked for the major banks previously and done 17 years now of financial planning advice. We're going to cover what the difference is between a mortgage advisor and a financial planner. We're going to cover where and when people should get financial advice. Spoiler alert, that might be now and yes, early ages. We're going to talk about the schooling system a little bit at the beginning as well and where that might need to be embedded. And in the second half of the episode, if you want to think about exiting, if you're looking at potentially selling your buy-to-let or maybe you've just sold a buy-to-let, then the second half of the episode is for you as well because we're going to cover a case study that Nelly brings to this episode and how much tax could be mitigated or paid depending on making errors or the right advice. It's going to be a really interesting episode. I'm super excited to be joined with Mike and Nelly on this week's episode. Let's get straight in. Nelly, thank you for joining us on the Investors Corner. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me today. Looking forward to getting stuck into the conversation around financial advice. But I think me and Mike were talking off camera here. And the first thing that we wanted to really highlight for people is what is the big difference between mortgage advice and financial advice? Because some people may get confused with the term IFA or financial advisor. So I think it'd be good to clear that up before we kick off with the episode. I understand. Uh, It's primarily the qualifications and the knowledge and expertise that people carry. So mortgage advice is to do with um, borrowing, either for investment purposes or to buy a home, where financial advice encompasses all areas of financial advice, and that will include mortgages, that will include protecting yourself and your family, that will include saving for a particular reason if you want to start a business or if you're saving for your children's education later on in life. Uh, If you're saving for yourself and your retirement, as well as at the later stage of the life when things are starting to slow down a little bit. Somebody might have the need for help, so they need to resort to long-term care arrangements or perhaps release some equity from their home uh, in order to be able to continue with their lifestyle. And last but not least, when people are prepared to pass some of their wealth to the next generation. So financial advising is in companies encompassing all areas of financial planning where mortgage advice is con- concentrating specifically in one particular area, and that's borrowing. I guess planning is the key word in that, I think. Yeah, isn't it, Mike? We, we, we've worked with multiple mortgage advisors over the years, and I always find the best mortgage advisors the ones that are thinking outside of that transaction. Yeah. But that's really where an IFA comes into play, is you're planning for what the goal is long-term rather than just that individual transaction, really. I think you, you go to a mortgage advisor or a mortgage broker because you need something now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's usually, for many people, uh, you go to a mortgage broker at the beginning of your uh, journey, really, um, that financial journey, when you need to buy your first home. Mm-hmm. And then it starts from there. Once you've acquired your home, you potentially are looking to invest in properties, then you go to your broker or your mortgage advisor and uh, seek help we're finding the best rate and that's available out there for you. But what people have to bear in mind um, is that unfortunately the mortgage advisor can only focus on one particular area of that person's need. And whatever they do with mortgages will have an impact further down the line on the rest of their overall financial position. 
because we take mortgages for at least 25, 30. Nowadays, it's becoming even uh, longer. Some some providers are offering 40-year mortgages. So can you imagine that throughout that journey of 40 years, or even if it's only 25, you would your life will change. It's a lot of money. You're spending a lot of money. I always look at that key fact on a mortgage statement or kind of the initial key facts that they give you where it's, you're getting a mortgage for this. By the end of 35 years or whatever it may be, you would have paid back that. And you're like, whoa, that is a yeah. big difference. In many cases, you would have paid double yeah. what you're paying. Some, yeah, yeah. But again, you have to bear in mind that that property will increase in value. So realistically, yes, you're paying more for the pleasure of being able to live in your home or being able to invest your money. And investing in, in property used to be a really good way of accumulating uh, wealth, as we all know it, because we are all uh, property investors, as well as investing in other areas, I guess. But uh, borrowing money from the banks means that you can make money from their money. That's the, that's the ultimate goal when it comes to investing, isn't it? Is yeah. Use someone else's money to make money is, is kind of the, the secret weapon that a lot of people are talking about on, on socials and other areas at the moment. So... Who should get financial advice is the, the question I've got for you. In my personal opinion and my professional opinion, everyone needs financial advice. Starting from literally children and their parents, going through people starting their careers and looking at how they can save for a particular reason or build some savings behind them for areas that they want to explore further down the line. So anybody from the age of... A few days old, when parents are looking to start saving for that child, all the way through to the people that might reach 100. That throughout our lives, we need financial advice at any point of time mm -hmm. because it's important to make smart financial choices rather than work hard to accumulate wealth. We should have brought Ian's daughter in, a seven-year-old daughter, business owner, yeah. hustler, salesperson. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't. she couldn't close a sale with me on Friday because she doesn't take Apple Pay yet. No, and she didn't run out of stock within about five <laughs> minutes. But yeah, they're doing a really good incentive in the school, primary school, you know, she's going into year three where um, grow a pound. So the school at the start of summer holidays gave all the kids one pound. And the goal is to come back and see how much they can grow that pound into by the end of the summer, which I thought from an entrepreneurial kind of enjoyment factor for the kids was just a great way of doing it. And I, as you mentioned there, anyone at any age, I do think I go into schools and teach property a lot and, and what mortgages means and how to get on the ladder and the difference between renting until you're 70 versus buying until you're 70. And I horrify some of the teachers when I show the statement that stat. But I do think there is there is a missing place in 18-year-old, 17-year-old and definitely at university as well. I think it's really important at university, but I think there's a missing segment in the education piece for all of this conversation. I mean, I commented on, you were talking to Jamie that's been on the show a couple of times that does uh, wills for people from Soteria and he posted on LinkedIn and I said, well, maybe kids, kids, maybe people in their last term of college or university or both should actually sit down with a will advisor and make their will at that point. I totally agree with and you. And it should be the same potentially for what you're talking about here. E even an hour's meeting, you know, pro bono for that type of individual to go in after school, sit down with someone for an hour, one-on-one -on -one, as a group of, you know, kind of financial advisors to just give a bit of education piece on that. I think it would stop people 
making so many drastic mistakes that they're punished for for the rest of the decade, if you like, at least sometimes further. I agree. They normally do in that early part of life, don't they? You do get given true, you get yeah. given Very the keys true. to life at eighteen, don't you, financially? With absolutely no training. And I totally agree with you because school doesn't prepare the new generation for what comes. Mm-hmm. When you go out there and you have to rent and the bills that you have to pay and how much it's gonna cost you. Yeah. And how to structure your finances so you don't end up paying too much in interest on credit cards that and when you borrowed and uh, how to prepare yourself to be able to step on the property ladder as well, for example. Because many people come up with the idea at some uh, early stage of their lives that they want to purchase a property, but they haven't prepared themselves. They haven't prepared their credit reports. They haven't prepared um, uh, financially for that position. They go to the bank and say, I would like to have a mortgage, please. And the bank turns around and says, well, actually, we don't think that you're trustworthy enough yet because we can't see that history behind you you know the credit doesn't allow it it's one of two issues isn't there there's either the super cautious people that have kind of been wrapped in cotton wool that have no credit rating so they just have no ability to show that they could borrow money because they'd never borrow it and then you've got the the other side where people have just wrapped up credit cards and phones you know they've got every iphone under the sun under their pillow they've got four but they haven't paid the bill for any of them and that can just ruin someone's life, you know, from a credit point of view. So Correct. We live in a society where everything is um, available. You go to one particular online shopping retail provider, which I'm not going to mention, but literally with a click of a button, you can purchase anything you like. And it's so easy to, to do that. It's so easy to spend money. It's so easy to get credit. So people sometimes just... Yeah, it's, it's become normalised to, to buy a pair of trainers and split the cost over three months, which yeah. for, for my generation hand, doesn't make any sense. On the other hand, for example, it's also easy for youngsters to say the government is making it uh, easy and tax efficient for young people to say, we're talking about the JISAs, which is the junior ISAs. We're talking about the ICE in general. We're talking about um, the ability of grandparents to save into pensions, for example, for yeah. children. Now, really a drastic example, which I calculated for a client um, about three or four months ago. So if a parent decides to save, for example, £100 a month for a newborn, because it's their, for example, first or second, well, it doesn't matter how, uh, which grandchild, but they want to save for that child and give them a good start in life, or perhaps for their education, so, for example, if the grandparent decide to save £100 per month, which nowadays is not a huge amount of money if you think about it, for 18 years, they will save about £20,000 into that grandchild's pension, for example. Through the fantastic uh, thing called compound interest or compound returns, yeah. that child could retire on £1.7 million just based on this initial investment of £20,000 by their grandparent. It's unbelievable, isn't it? When the combat, uh, Tony Robbins, you know, is obviously a big motivational speaker, speaker, but he does a lot of financial talks as well. And he does always talk about exactly the same thing. You know, that compound interest of being in a position where save, save even 5 or 4% of your salary from the day that you turn 18 and you start working or 21 if you leave uni, just... 
just stay four or five and put it into those type of things, you know, stocks and shares, ISAs, even low risk ones, and be in a position that you could hit 50, 55, you know. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, you don't have to expose your money to risk. You can just use all the tax allowances and uh, reliefs that are available to you. For example, the um, the lease, which is the lifetime ISA. If you save, for example, £4,000 a year, the government gives you another £1,000 extra. It's ideal for people that are looking to step on the property ladder. And if for whatever reason they choose not to, then they can use this money for their retirement. That's an additional um, money that people will lose out on if they don't do it. Yeah. So the government is... Free money. It it is absolutely (laughs) free money. And it's an encouragement for younger people to put a little bit away, to start thinking about their future, what's going to happen one day, um, and have these long-term goals and aspirations because it's important for somebody to have a, a goal and an aspiration. If you're aiming at something, if you've got a plan and take action, you will achieve it. Yeah, I, I mentioned I go into schools and I, I vividly remember walking into uh, one school this year, was it last year? Probably this year. And it wasn't as affluent as an area as the previous school that I'd been in. And there was less people in the class. And I could tell straight away that a couple of people had been forced to be there. They weren't overly interested. It was quite a, quite an intimate group. There's about 11 or 12. But this one girl that was in there, I think they were 17 years old, she, I'd never had so many questions fired at me in one of these kind of property credit rating mortgage. And she was so switched on with what she was planning to do. And the questions that she was asking, I just couldn't believe from a 17 year old. And I was like, that is amazing. And she will be fine in life. She will, she will absolutely be fine. She'll, she'll be a superstar in terms of our planning and what she's planning to do with mortgages and financial advice because she's interested at that age. And on the other side of the classroom, three guys basically three boys just on their phone not interested and you could just tell that as flippant as it may sound that the difference between wherever her drive and motivation came from parents whatever it was i'm not sure um but the difference at that age you could just see the trajectory that she was going to go on in comparison to the rest of the class and yeah as as a pair of myself it makes me think things like that incentive we spoke about with my daughter and stuff like that you know when we're playing um kids monopoly and stuff like that just that little bit of explanation that she when we wanted to play monopoly she wanted to keep all the money but then she quickly realized if she kept all the money she would lose the goal was not to save as much money the goal was to invest in the board and then upscale your investments with tokens in this case or hotels as we know it and then all of a sudden she started kicking my ass in Monopoly because she understood. <laughs> I invest my money. I don't want to have loads in the bank. I want to have loads on the table. It only took us three games to work that out. And I can't beat her at Monopoly anymore. She's seven. But I don't know it's amazing, you... isn't it, really? Uh, the schools would need to um, look at perhaps providing some additional support and education. And I'm on a mission to provide financial advice to everybody who needs it. There's a great misconception that financial advice is expensive and it's only for the wealthy. Mm. And I will strongly disagree with that because everybody needs it. And in reality, the industry is has designed um, the remuneration of the financial advisors in a way that promotes financial advice to people at an earlier stage as well. So, for example, if you need a mortgage, the mortgage advisor is remunerated through a procuration fee. If you need a protection for your family for yourself again 
the advisor is remunerated through a commission or a procuration fee from the provider. Um, at a later stage, when accumulation of wealth happens, then people can afford to pay for financial advice at that moment in time, and then uh, it becomes a percentage of the funds invested in many cases. So that means that if you've got less money invested, it will cost you less, but it, it will put you on that first step and the journey towards financial success and having a strategy and having a plan and knowing why you're heading, what you want to achieve and how best you're going to achieve that as well. Yeah. And I'll mention another thing um, is that younger generation nowadays is looking to explore different options through some robot advice out there. So many, I come across many young people who have opened ISIS, decided to go and invest in some funds. But the education is not there for these young people to know how to invest, mm. how to consider risk, how to consider their own capacity for loss, how much is their affordability, how much of the money to, to split. And I always uh, teach uh, clients and, and their children to look at splitting their finances in three pots. Have you heard of the three pots? Like we we play around with three pots in business from yeah. a cash flow point of view because you've got your your saving pot, your VAT pot, and then kind of almost your current account pot. We play around with it in the power of three is a powerful thing, but the power of three. maybe not in the same way that you're about to tell us. Well, the way I teach my clients to do it, just think about today, tomorrow, and the future. Today is where the income comes in mm-hmm. and satisfies the basic needs shelter, food, and some entertainment. And then we think about tomorrow. What do we want to achieve for tomorrow? Where are we heading? Do we have children? Do we want to save for them? Do we want to put some money aside? Have we got the aspiration to invest in property or invest in other areas? Do we have the aspiration to start a business, perhaps? Uh, A lot of young people are entrepreneurs like you two. So they look to which they're called young there. <laughs> or, or the young I'm <laughs> almost out of context, but I've got, carry on. I've got a couple of weeks <laughs> after being in my thirties, so I'm gonna take it. Okay, I'm not gonna mention my age then. Anyway. Um and then think about the the future as well. Don't forget about the future. Many people forget about the future. They yeah. start thinking, okay, I've got the money coming in, I'll perhaps put a little bit tomorrow. And they start putting it in the bank account in the, in the bank savings account. I fail to understand that there is risk there too. It's inflation, and inflation at the moment is raging. Bank savings accounts are not designed to keep pace with inflation. They're designed to provide the short-term need capital. Yeah. So it's important for people to start thinking from the beginning of their journeys, what have I got for today? What am I doing with my money tomorrow? And let's allocate something to the future as well. The, the advice I wish I was given by a teacher or someone like you or someone like me now back then, when I started earning my first salary, 12 grand a year was what what we were, what we were paid. And I just wish that I truly understood that this is what I have to pay out. So at the time it was, it was my car, it was my phone. You know, I was living at home with my mum at the time. So my car, my phone, and then a few other little bits and bobs, but really love it. And then I used to go, right, well, that meant that I had X amount of money to spend and go out and enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. But I really wished that the pie chart, if you look at it that way, or, or the profit and loss on my own personal um, bank account at the time, had in 20%, 25% that was 
either saved or invested at that time, you know, on small margins. Because you used to think, oh, investing is for, you know, the, the big rich people of the world. And, you know, there's so many things now where you could invest £10 a month. Absolutely. You know, very, very low. You can invest in an ISA for as little as £10, £20. We, we have two fantastic ISAs for both of our kids that were part of the setup for them, that it was a minimum of £10 to set them up with some sort of cash bonus, I think, at the start. Uh, my uh, my my parents, so their grandparents pay into their on on a birthday, and they yeah. pay into their on a Christmas because it's it makes sense for them in their future planning. And then we have not ten pounds anymore, a little bit more that goes in there. There is regular occasions where they have more savings than we can do in those accounts. But I just wish someone would have um, explained to me at seventeen or eighteen when I started taking a salary, if you start by putting ten twenty percent somewhere else then you can do that at that early age. And obviously I didn't think that way at the time. You just think, right, you get to the third, fourth week of the month, paydays in a couple of days. I've got 300 quid left in my account. Let's have a big night or whatever it might have been. And, and you know, you would have loved to be in a position where you were just putting the compound effects, you know, yeah. to one side. And of course, having a big night is important because don't forget that at an early age, uh, it's important for people to have joy in their lives. So that's why making sure that there is a good allocation to all three parts. Yeah. Maintaining the lifestyle they enjoy nowadays, making sure that you've got to continue with that lifestyle tomorrow and same with the lifestyle in the future as well. Yeah. Because if you go and start saving and saving and deprive yourself of all the little things in life that you enjoy, it's going to become really boring. There's, a, there's an air, there's a, there's a bracket. Is, the there is a fine line yeah. between the two. Yeah, there's a difference between being a hermit and then someone, <laughs> that's, someone that every order at the bar, there's a yeah. firework on your bottle of champagne. Um, yeah. Very different kind of context. But yeah, it, absolutely. So we wanted to, it's a really topical conversation. And I think if people are listening, they want to comment or have questions around it or set up conversations with you for them or their children or their grandparents, whatever it may be. But I think we talk a lot on this about the exit rate for landlords at the moment and we wanted to get stuck into maybe a bit of a case study around giving these people some advice because it's very common at the moment that landlords seem to be exiting the market there's a lot of new um, landlords or property investors coming to the market as well but the exit su surpasses the you know the intro at the moment so should we talk about that in a classic case study for people that are exiting the market because i think that's a really good piece of advice that we could give in general context. And, you know, I'll highlight for you that this is not advice to an individual. No. This is a chat, you know, on this podcast. So don't take this as your own, as gospel, and then go and do something with it. Come, come and get the, in, the independent kind of in um, more detailed advice from you directly rather than making a knee-jerk decision off what we're going to talk about. But for context of the story and the case study, I think people probably take a lot of inspiration and value from it as well so well i hope so i hope so and, and um I'll, i will echo what you just said please um to your listeners whatever you hear in the podcast today please do not take it as advice because it's easy to make financial make mistakes and they could be really costly um i'll just give a, a small example recently i came across a, a landlord who's listened to some guru internet guru online uh, on youtube gone and done something and that now going to cost him a really hefty tax charge of £33,000. So please, before you 
do anything, speak to your financial advisor and make sure that it is the right thing for you. I've, I'm just going to share a um, case scenario, which is probably happening at the moment amongst many of the property investors and the landlords. If you've read the papers in the last couple of days, you've probably noticed that there is a, a great exit in numbers at the moment of landlords selling okay. purely because they cannot afford to keep their properties. And in many cases, we are talking about accidental landlords with young families whose mortgages, their own mortgages have gone up uh, drastically per month. And also their buy-to-let mortgages have gone up. The interests have gone up um, dramatically. I think there's two parts, isn't there? There's people like that that are now seeing the new mortgage rates that are kind of almost, I'm not paying to subsidise my tenant. Exactly. Totally fair. And then the other part of it is the fact that the retirement age is in just, just from general demographic terms is at that point now where people are hitting that kind of mid-60s yeah. bracket. Yeah. They're just going, it's served its purpose in selling up. So it's not all fear kind of, whoa, 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 there is the tale of two halves, I guess. And and for either of those, you know, let, let's talk about this. this yeah, it's, it's just one of those watershed yeah. moments, isn't it, where there's five or six different reasons why someone's going to exit the market. Absolutely. Ian and I sit, sat on the opposite side of the table. I've sold a buy-to-let in the last 12 months. Ian's thinking about it, so let's fire away. Yeah. Well, also, another reason is divorce. And we've been through very difficult times with the pandemic. A lot of people were separating and... Um, Yes. is another yep. reason why some of the properties have to be sold or split between the partners. Mm -hmm. um, so I came across this couple um, who, on paper, have got a really good business because they own, they're worth three million. They've got a number of properties uh, in their portfolio and they've got a rental income of £300,000. So you would think, that's a really solid business. Mm. But we all know that um, any business survives sold cash flow. Cash flow is a king in any business. And when you lose that and happens that your incomes are not sufficient to cover your outgoings, then it becomes a problem. And that's exactly what happens with this couple. So the property portfolio was um, six million. Uh, their mortgage outstanding were three million. Uh, the equity they've had was three million, but they also had capital gains of three million. So rental income, uh, is based on 5% yield, and as I mentioned, is 300,000. Mortgage interest based on 6% at the moment is 180. They've got other costs in the business, maintaining maintaining the properties, repairs, and so on, which comes to around 100,000. So their profits at the moment are 20,000 pounds from an income of 300,000. 20k on three million pounds worth of properties easy come easy go isn't it you can sneeze and lose that as well but do you want to guess how much were their profits two years ago by the yeah. end of each year 150 yeah i was gonna say i was gonna say six figures 100 grand yeah 140 yeah, yeah. 140 that was only two years ago when the interest rates were two percent so and the most peculiar thing is that they're tax position hasn't changed due to section 24 so they haven't been one of the unfortunate ones that have gone into the ra tax bracket they've still remained as they are now their taxable income uh remains at 200 000 because they can't offset their interest costs 
So as you can imagine, it's not a rocket science to know that the tax on 200,000 is a lot more than 20,000 profit. So in reality, that couple was in negative cash flow. Um, so what, what do we consider? Um, we consider we, we had a really good look at the portfolio. We looked and individually analyzed each of the properties and decided to retain the ones that were with good cash flow and good potential for growth in the future. And there were some properties that they purchased in the past, but it was for one reason or another, didn't work out really well. They either couldn't get really good tenants or the area they've chosen wasn't the right area or um, th there was a number of reasons that led uh, to that outcome. And what we decided to do is um, reduce the portfolio size by probably about half. So that was the first consideration and the first thought we had. Let's sell half of the properties, get the cash, pay the mortgages off, and then keep, we calculated at the time, keep about £64,912 in profits. Yes, but capital gains tax. I was going to say, capital gains is going to hinder that, yeah. Capital gains tax is a big, big, big um, thing for, for landlords, especially the ones who have owned these properties for many years and accumulated that growth. Yep. And if you think about it, it's fantastic thinking, oh, well, um, these landlords thought that they had $3 million in profits. But it used to be that the strategy used to be that you would take the equity from the property in order to purchase more properties yep. to grow your portfolio and maximize the loan to value. I think it's important mention at that point for someone that's listening thinking, well, how is there three million in capital gains tax when they've got a three million loan and three million equity? And it is because obviously they purchased low and they've refinanced on properties. Yeah. And I think it's something that when you hear, you know, you talk about social media gurus and stuff, they're like, right buy this, refurb this, refinance that. And then you look at it and go, well, I've got mortgage of X and I've got this of Y and then tenants paid the mortgage off down there. Yeah. But you've still got tax on it. Exactly. Because although you don't pay tax on the refinance, on the debt, you've still got capital gains based on your your end price and your first yeah. price. And I think it's important for people to to hear that. Do you want to guess how much um, their tax bill will have been? What, from selling half? Well, you'd like to, well, based on your numbers initially, it's kind of, it would be about one and a half, wouldn't it? If you were just doing it a simple 20% of three million, if anyone can do that one, it's about a million pounds, isn't it? Well, uh, if uh, we were considering selling 50% of the portfolio to bring the loan to value and be able to remortgage, first of all, on better rates. Mm. And secondly, repay uh, the majority of the mortgage. So this uh, business can have positive cash flow. But the tax bill... On 1.41 million, which will have been the amount of capital gains on what they've sold, will have been 394,800. So a really, really hefty tax bill yeah. to put themselves uh, in a cash flow that will allow them to retain the business. Now, these. No one wants to pay that bill, right? Nobody wants, <laughs> no to, pay wants to pay that bill. <laughs> £400,000. It's the realization that they thought that they had a wealth of three million but actually when you consider the tax implications it's not so 
And that is one of the areas I think that many landlords sometimes forget about because they invest with all their passion, put all their knowledge into it and efforts and energy to grow these portfolios and forget that these portfolios are not sheltered by a tax wrapper. There is no tax efficiency in these, um, in owning a property in that, that way. So they could have explored, um, incorporating and many landlords did in reality. The calculations were good at the time before capital gains, um, before corporation tax, um, was increased in April. So at the moment it's becoming a little bit of a balancing act. Yeah. Is it better to be incorporated or is it better to keep it in your own name? And for each person that is entirely up to their personal circumstances, and it's very, very individual. For some it's best to keep the, some of the properties in their name, um, or perhaps all of the properties, depending on how large of a landlord they are. But others it's best to incorporate and run it as a business. But again, people sometimes fail to remember that running a business is not you, it's not your own money, it's the business's money. It's another legal entity. And for you to extract these profits and this money into your own pocket, there are some tax implications. So for that reason, somebody would need to, who's considering selling a property, who wants to maximize the tax efficiency and retain as much as possible of their past uh, growth and returns to sit down with a financial advisor and work out the figures to make sure that what they do is the right thing for them individually. There's so many different varieties, isn't there? Because you've got starting a business on your, on your own, starting a business with your wife or your husband, starting a business with a business partner, and by business, I mean, you know, this kind of special purpose vehicle we're talking about here. But then you've also got the properties that maybe were owned. You've got to do your own those with your wife. Do you not own them with your wife and your, or your husband? You know, who earns what? You know, which bracket is the earning in? Is that the same for your business partner? Is it the same for your, for your spouse? All of these different things are kind of, you know, throws a whole different variety. What? Who's got short term? Is everyone the same age? You know, I talk to a lot of business owners where, there's a 20-year age gap between the business owners, the two business owners. They've got different objectives. Totally different objectives, different goals, totally different setup. So yeah. how does that impact the goal management and those decisions that we've spoke about when it comes to investing or, or just generally from a business planning point of view as well? So there's such a variety of different... Correct. Right. Everybody's circumstances are different in goals and objectives, but I'm glad that you've uh, touched upon that because... When you have a business, it's important to plan your exit strategy and to have a plan for the continuation of the business if something is to happen to the business owners, especially when there is a gap in age, especially when um, the business owners have got are not family members and they've got different aspirations in life, different timescales, different end goals. So making sure that that business continues throughout its journey as a business and then planning what happens at the exit yeah. early on rather than leaving it till the end. Yeah. Plan with the buyer in mind is, is really important yeah. for for your property and for your business, I guess, really. Yeah. Yeah. But not necessarily a buyer because some, so for example, some property investors choose to invest in uh, property investment companies. 
So with the idea I have there that one day they might be able to just gift or sell shares to family members and use it as a intergenerational planning tool rather than just selling their business. And again, as I said, it's very individual, depends on family dynamics, depends on the individual plans and goals, depends whether the children are interested in uh, yep. perhaps inheriting the business or not, as it might be the case in some yep. some situations in some family. We've seen a lot of landlords at the moment looking to acquire properties with children in mind as well. You know, that seems to be way more common at the moment is you've got parents that are thinking, well, let's let's branch out, buy two buy-to-lets because we've got two kids, but they're purchasing them not just on raw profit and loss, you know, Excel sheets that make sense. They're actually purchasing them with a thought of, well, she could live here and he could live here. You know, there's some some logic behind what they're doing there as well as almost creating assets for, for their kids. So there's all sorts of different variety out there, but that paints a very interesting picture for people listening because I think sometimes that tax management or that tax planning is missed. I, I was looking, like Mike said, at my buy-to-let but I was able to go straight on to and do the capital gains cap rough ta- calculator myself and look at it and go, okay, that that seems like a, a fair amount of money that I'm not fussed about. However, if I'd have done it and seen, I don't know, 10x what I saw, it would have had a big impact. But a lot of people will probably go ahead with the decision without doing the calculator, without knowing yeah. whether it was A or B. And then get the surprise. And that's that's the error of kind of that situation. And it might not be, you know, we might have a conversation off camera. I look at my personal situation. You might turn around and go, you're crazy to sell your property. I might look at it at the moment and think, well, that's the logic that I want to do because I want to do X, Y, and Z. But if the ultimate goal is, for me, something different to what that exit strategy looks like, then it's getting that power team, getting that conversation in place. So I think people listening to this will, will hopefully have, have realised there's there's more to just that advisory and planning, really. Planning is important because, especially as a business owner, you've got another uh, ability to manoeuvre your income. So you can either have a set income or you can have a roller coaster income. And uh, by doing that, you can instigate certain income to be paid to you in certain years when you are making a profit, for example. Or if you have got other properties that you think, oh, that's not worth keeping. Um, I know I'm going to be making a loss on that one, but I want to dispose of that because I can use the money elsewhere and uh, invest in a better way. So you can you can do planning where losses offset against gains in the, in the same tax year. Mm. So there is a lot that can be done. That's a bit of strategy as well that you took advantage of, I think, with, with yours was looking at the tax year and looking at when it makes sense. Absolutely. The first person I spoke to when I went to put my flat on the market, one of the flats on the market was the accountant. And it was to say, Darren, this year I need to be a low-rate taxpayer, please. And that's that's the benefit, I guess, you have of being self-employed or a business owner. That's the pro. The con is you have to go through all of that thinking and doing rather than it being done for you. So I have to pay the guy. <laughs> for him to actually do that thinking and that planning for me. Whereas when I was unemployed, it just was what it was. It just came in my paycheck. And I and you had no choice. It would be in my sleep. So yeah. there's, there's pros and cons to it, but it certainly meant that my capital gains bill was lower because my accountant had pre-planned for me for that year to keep me in the lower bracket and withhold it until until next year. So yeah. 
yeah, absolutely yeah. it worked. And it was part of the first part thinking as as much as asking my agent how much is it worth, I'm asking my accountant how much does it cost me. Yeah. yeah. And can I ask you, did you speak to your financial advisor to see what you can do with the bill that you had to pay afterwards? Because there are things that you can do following that. That's where it ended. Three years. <laughs> that's where it ended. And that's, that's why Mike, Mike got ambitious and bought a big house that he can't afford to refurbish. <laughs> Let's cut to the chase. That's a different, that's a different episode combo. That's almost one that we need some before and after in, in about three months' time. Yeah, I'm a great believer that if you surround yourself with experts, and you have a power team, anybody that runs a business or any landlord, which is in reality a business, needs a power team. And the power team will include a really good solicitor, a really good accountant, a financial advisor with a view of covering all areas of financial planning and being completely independent, good broker or mortgage advisor. So a team of different experts in their own fields, but coming together will help you deliver um, will help you achieve your. I feel like I'm eighty percent of the way there. My, <laughs> my my broker got me a mortgage in thirty minutes. My solicitor gets me purchases through in in five weeks. Then they give me and my accountant keeps my tax reasonably low, but still taxable. Then they give me the money. Mm. Big yeah, moves. the one person that you're missing <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, big moves, but not quite there. Reminds me of my football club. Um, <laughs> you just mentioned that you can't afford your new home, so perhaps you need a financial advisor to help you budget and do cash flow modelling for you, well, so exactly. and help you decide how to structure your finances so you can afford it really, without having to sacrifice your money. This is true, and this is this is what we've been talking about off camera for the last few weeks: is the fifty, twenty, thirty models and that kind of thing to actually know where your money is, rather than just bank it, bank it, bank it, bank it. Okay, I've got enough to do my bathroom. Yeah. Which is the very simplistic way of doing things. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a fantastic episode. Thank you for coming on and, and sharing your wisdom. I think we've uh, rewritten the schooling system. We've highlighted the importance of monopoly, a timeless game for a seven-year-old that helps them understand investing. And then we've covered a really you know, interesting case study there that will relate to people, whether the numbers match yours it's the circumstance around exactly. it you know it could be three million six million or it could be three hundred thousand but everyone's got their own um pro- numbers within that model yeah. and a version of that model but that's why the best thing to do is to get in contact with you uh, we will put obviously your contact details in all the show notes so if you're watching on youtube they'll be in there if you're listening on apple spotify or somewhere else obviously the show notes will be in there as well and it's been a really really interesting one it's almost a tale of two halves this episode we've cut We've rewritten the schooling system in one. And then we've we've progressed the youngsters coming into the world of investing and saving as well as the ones that have accumulated the wealth. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.